Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Dilip and Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to follow on from our earlier episode on MDMA and talk about MDMA intoxication, harm reduction, and some withdrawal management strategies. So Fergal, can you tell me about some of the mortality risks associated with MDMA? So as we've said before, it is a stimulant and it causes a, you know, it can cause extreme hyperthermia, which is an elevated uh, temperature of the body. It can cause reuptake inhibition of monoamines, especially around the heart, which then can cause vasospasm, ischemic heart disease, cardiac arrest. It can cause serotonin syndrome. So untreated, that can cause, again, that, that can contribute to the hyperthermia. It can also cause disseminated intravascular coagulation and uh, rhabdomyolysis, uh, and that can occur, occur as a result of the hyperthermia. It can cause seizures and status epilepticus and multiple organ failure. So really, the, 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 at the pointy end of harms for ecstasy, it can cause death by a, a wide variety of mechanisms. Um, you know, the, that then bring, brings us to the point about, well, is there a defined level of... Um, Lethality. Is there a concentration of ecstasy beyond which you, you know, you're, you're, you're more likely to die? What would you say to that, Philippe? I don't think there's a definite fatal um, blood concentration for, for MDMA, and and usually, I think a lot of the deaths where methamphetamine has been associated with it's usually a polydrug combination mm. of, of 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 drugs. So. MDMA may be a contributor, but there's usually many other drugs um, per se that that uh, are associated with MDMA-related deaths. Uh, is that your understanding as well, Fergal? Yeah, and and also that's just let's just remember that you know it is entirely possible to die after the ingestion of one MDMA tablet, and it that's is. usually in young women uh, as a result of hyponatremia and brain swelling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Polypharmacy is, is, is increases the likelihood of toxicity at lower doses. Um, and let's just imagine that the, the, or remember rather, that the usual dose is about 100 milligrams. You start getting side effects at about 120 milligrams. I've read somewhere that um, probably the lethal dose might be around the 1800 milligram mark. But again, I, I think it, it, that number then belies the potential risks for death after one pill that is unfortunately associated with uh, ecstasy. So Fergal, we've just talked about um, the mortality risks and some of the harms related with MDMA. Can you talk to us about some of the harm reduction interventions we can use for MDMA? Yeah, so I think it all boils down to, you know, firstly, hydration. You don't want to get overhydrated or dehydrated. So if you're dancing... Uh, in a hot environment, in a, in a rave party, for instance, then no more than a pint of water an hour, which is about half a litre. And if you're not dancing, no more than a quarter of a litre, which is about half a pint. So it's important to drink the right amount of water. Don't get overhydrated. Don't get dehydrated. It's also important to understand that really, if you're going to take ecstasy, you shouldn't actually mix it with other drugs. Because remember, as we've already said, mixing other drugs with ecstasy increases the toxicity of ecstasy and the potential for harm and the potential for death. You should also be aware of the potential for serotonin syndrome. So especially if you're on antidepressants, you're going to be more likely to experience serotonin syndrome 
as a result of taking even one ecstasy pill. And remember, serotonin syndrome can, can be characterized by a triad of phenomena. We have cognitive phenomena, we have neuromuscular phenomena, and we have autonomic phenomena. So the cognitive phenomena are confusion, agitation. The neuromuscular phenomena are rigidity, tremor, hyperexcitability, or hyperreflexia. And the um, the uh, autonomic phenomena are elevated heart rate, blood pressure, temperature. Again, this is the hyperthermia. So, if you're, it, so that's a very easy way of conceptualizing what serotonin syndrome is, but just be aware if you're taking antidepressants or for that matter any other serotonergic drug, but especially antidepressants, you, are at the, you run the risk of this syndrome. And I think really if, you can give a, if we can give a message to viewers, if you're with someone in a rave, and you, they've taken a pill and they look red, hot, or rigid, they need to phone emergency services, or you need to phone emergency services immediately. And also, profuse sweating and agitation, that's the other presentation. I've actually, I mean, you know, we, we talk about serotonin syndrome. I haven't really seen that much of it. I've only seen two cases of it, and none of them were in ecstasy users. Mm-hmm. But the key thing that really struck me was the agitation and the sweating. Have you seen serotonin syndrome? I can't say that I have, Fergal. Um, I've, it's, it's one of those things that we're so attuned to and uh, we're aware of, but I haven't seen it in, in clinical practice uh, yet, especially in, in the addiction medicine um, context. Mm. But it's certainly a great uh, spiel that you've given us there in terms of harm reduction interventions. If we were to go through the uh, the acute management of some of the um, the sequelae of MDMA intoxication, what would mm-hmm. your approach be to to someone in terms of how you would treat, uh, say, hypothermia or some of the neurological symptoms we've we've discussed? So I think the the management of all this kind of intoxication problem uh, is is all about supportive management. So you need to actually go through your A B C D E Fs. But, you know, in, in particular, treating the, the problems of hyperthermia, you need to cool the patient appropriately. But, you know, delirium, especially in the, in the context of taking a pill at a rave, you need to do the blood tests and you need to actually uh, identify hyponatremia. And if, if someone is hyponatremic, you need to correct hyponatremia, but not too quickly, because as you know, there is a complication associated with the over-rapid correction of hyponatremia. Would you care to talk to us about that? Yes, Virgil, rapid correction of hyponatremia can cause central pontine myelinolysis, and that can cause pontine dysfunction, and that can be a fatal condition. So you don't want to uh, overcorrect in, in these situations. Mm. But there's, there's another condition, the other really dangerous issue that we need to talk about is the, is the management of rhabdomyolysis. I mean, so first of all, Philippe, you know, why do we get rhabdomyolysis and ecstasy toxicity, and then how do we treat rhabdo? So, so rhabdomyolysis is muscle breakdown and you get the muscle breakdown due to a combination of, of different things. You can get it through to, to, to the hyperthermia we talked about earlier, the muscle mm. spasming, um, mm. and kind of the increased metabolic rate that you get when you're mm. using MDMA. So y- your cells are burning a lot of energy. So you get a lot mm. of waste product, um, and you're burning a lot of energy. And when the kidneys, uh, are, are are not functioning as well or can't clear the waste products uh, as effectively as they usually do. This builds up. And this is a fatal condition. It can cause kidney damage. It can cause acute kidney damage. And it needs to be uh, rectified and identified uh, promptly. Mm. And this is something yeah. that unfortunately needs a hospital admission 
once you get to rhabdomyolysis, this is not something that can be treated in an, in an outpatient setting. No, no. And the management really is basically flushing the system, so it's saline diuresis. Uh, you know, you need to give a lot of fluids to actually help the kidneys clear out the, uh, the, uh, the waste products or the, the byproducts of muscle breakdown. I describe uh, rhabdomyolysis as the melting of muscles. And I think it's quite an appropriate description because, you know, when you look at people who've had rhabdomyolysis, after they've, if they've survived it and they, you know, they, they've literally got no muscles, you know, they've been hot. And then the next couple of days, they just don't have any muscle mass in their arms or their legs. Indeed. And I guess what we've talked about now is some of the acute management steps of, of MDMA intoxication. Mm. But moving on to, more stimulant withdrawal management. And by stimulant, we're talking about MDMA. We've talked about uh, methamphetamine withdrawal in previous episodes. But say MDMA, cocaine, caffeine, and, and say bath, bath salts, and let's lump them all as stimulants. What would you say is one of the hallmarks of withdrawal management in, in for this grouping of um, of substances, Fergal? Well, I think... Uh, in terms of the natural history, you end up with this, uh, you know, this almost like a depressive, a major depre- depressive episode. You end up with a, of a time period where basically they stay in bed and they're very vegetative. All they do is eat and sleep. And, and actually the treatment for that phase of withdrawal is actually in part to actually make sure they eat enough and drink enough water to sustain themselves. And then you get this rebound awakening where they get very agitated. And that's, that, that's the time when they really get antsy. And that's the time when they self-discharge. And then as time goes on, then you end up with this kind of, this constant anhedonic craving for the drug, which then gradually over time gets better. And, and really, you know, in the case of most, uh, stimulants, you can take up to a year to actually, um, recover the ability to experience joy. And, and you've got to understand that ecstasy, at high doses, ecstasy has been found, certainly in lab rats, to, to cause basically the scorching and burning of dopaminergic, serotonergic, and noradrenergic neurons. So, you know, if you don't have the ability to produce these monoamines, you don't have then the ability to experience joy and love. So Indeed. it takes a while for the brain to regrow and then to, uh, and for you to then to relearn to experience these phenomena. And so imagine, going through a time when you're in withdrawal, when the only thing that makes you feel better is more of the drug, and yet you're, you're, you're joyless and you're, you're, you don't have any love. It would be, I have a lot of sympathy for people who find themselves in that, um, in that position. And I think you've highlighted a really important thing there, Fergal, where psychosocial interventions are the hallmark of, of withdrawal management for, for stimulant mm. drugs. There is no pharmacotherapy option uh, purely for stimulant medication, uh, mm. so, stimulant drugs, sorry. So it, it is that psychoeducation, uh, the, the psychosocial interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, acceptance commitment therapy, trying to identify the triggers for, for substance use and trying to ameliorate those triggers or, or try and redirect, uh, patients when they, when they try and seek stimulant drugs. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. I, I mean, I think we need to make a distinction between the treatment of the acute phase and the treatment of the medium to longer term. I think in the, in the acute phase, it's perfectly reasonable to use symptomatic relief, which may include, you know, 
controlled small to moderate doses of benzodiazepines for only a short time, you know, whilst the patient's in the acute detox unit. So it's very common for us to use these, uh, you know, benzodiazepines such as diazepam to manage that rebound agitation that occurs when they wake up from their stimulant, uh, from the, during their stimulant detox. But then as we move into the second phase, you know, the community phase, then as you say, really it is psychosocial. And you've mentioned uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, I, I think that the, the best evidence for, um, for stimulant withdrawal management and recovery from stimulant misuse is actually in, uh, it has been uh, encapsulated in uh, the matrix system. So in the matrix system, you have one-to-one psychological sessions, you have family therapy, you've got group therapies, and it's very, very intensive for the first, uh, you know, 16 to 20 weeks, and then it gradually, the intensity then gradually tails off. But there are a couple of um, techniques that are very useful in recovery from stimulants. And the first psychological technique is contingency management, and the second psychological technique is, is CBT. So, you know, what, what, what is contingency management then, Philippe? To put it crudely, contingency management is trying to create a reward system for uh, performing behaviours that are seen as quote-unquote acceptable. And by that, I mean, um, and, and I guess the best evidence for this is with methamphetamines, and I think we briefly touched on it in our episodes on methamphetamine, but say if someone has uh, methamphetamine use disorder and the goal is uh, abstinence uh, and the measure is urine drug screens, say for every uh, urine drug screen that does not show the presence of methamphetamine metabolites, the person gets a voucher or a dollar sum of money or some other reward that has been predetermined or pre-accepted. So that's contingency um, management in a nutshell. It's rewarding patients or people for performing behaviours uh, that we are seeking them to, to perform going, going forwards. So another way of putting it is it's paying people to be clean. I was trying to be, I was trying to be less crude than that, <laughs> using but, a lot more words, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, this is a really interesting point, right? Let's say that we're trying to convince the commissioner of a service. Let's say that there's a body of money, there's a commissioner who wants to pay a chunk of money for us to provide a service that's going to help people for, with uh, st- stimulant uh, use disorder who are in recovery. We then have to say to this person who's giving us this chunk of money that we're going to pay people to be clean. That sometimes is a very difficult message to get across. And there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of incredulity when actually when I talk about contingency management. And I think it's really important to make the following point. Contingency management has been proven to work in the management of stimulant uh, use disorder and, and recovery therefrom. It has been proven to work. And it's also been proven to be better than any other pharmacotherapy. What would you say to that? The evidence backs you up, Fergal. I've got no mm. disagreement at all. Contingency management is an effective mm. intervention. It yeah. uh, There are numerous studies. There is a lot of evidence that it works. So yeah. I don't disagree with you. So there's, it's very often combined with CBT, and I think that the, the combination of CBT and contingency management is great because contingency management, in my opinion, gets people clean, whereas CBT then keeps people clean. 
So you have this that you have this tail effect after appropriate CBT that you tend not to get with with contingency management. Although it's not impossible to have the tail effect just with contingency management, but it's more usual to have the CBT effect longer lasting. So I think it's really useful to understand that the psychosocial interventions have to incorporate both contingency management and cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, and discussions of the cycle of change uh, and on how we how we move through stages from pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and then maintenance. Indeed. So I guess in, in this episode of Cracking Addiction, we've um, covered quite, quite a bit. We've talked about MDMA, the acute management of intoxication, withdrawal management interventions, and some relapse prevention strategies going forward. So thank you for your attention on this episode, and bye for now.